you open your Bible once again to the book of Luke, to the passage that was read for us a few minutes ago. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 46. It's on page 856 if you're using the church Bible. What a beautiful Sunday to begin our Advent series with all this unexpected snow on this beautiful December morning. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. One of the best parts of Christmas is also one of the worst parts of the holiday, and that is all the music that we hear over the loudspeakers. Some carols are majestic and warm and heartwarming. Others are just fun, but others are corny and plain nauseating. (laughs) But Christmas and music go together, probably unlike any other holiday that we have. Music is, or Christmas is not meant to just be eaten with good food or to be opened with good presents, but it's to be sung with good singing together. So this Advent, we are learning to sing four songs, and these four songs come from the Gospel of Luke. Luke, the historian, penned these four songs from the mouths of four different people, and on his playlist here in the Gospel of Luke, we get to participate in these four songs. So three weeks from now, Christmas Day Eve, Sunday, we will look uh, at chapter 2, verse 29, where um, Simeon um, sings about the coming of the Savior. The week before that, Uh, In chapter 2, verse 14, the angels welcoming the Lord. Next week, John the Baptist's father in chapter 1, verse uh, 67. And today we're looking at the Magnificat, which is the first word in the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible. Uh, It's Mary's song, chapter 1, verse 46. And Christmas was meant to be sung together, and we're going to sing these four songs together from the Gospel of Luke. So let's read once again. We already read it, but this is the most magnificent, one of the most magnificent songs ever written. Let's read it once again, Luke 1, 46 to 56. This is the magnificent, yes, the magnificent Magnificat, the song of a teenage girl. Luke 1, 46, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who has mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Have you ever heard about someone without really knowing them, but when you get to know them, they are really different than what you thought they were like? For example, maybe you thought your teacher was pretty mean when you sat in the back of the class room or the lecture hall, but when you stayed after school for help, your teacher was in fact a pretty nice person. Or just the opposite. Maybe you thought that person must be pretty nice, but when you got to know them, they actually were kind of a nasty person. Two months ago, I met Maleficent. Really, yes, Maleficent. You know Maleficent, the mistress of evil, the witch of Disney movie fame. I met her truly in a northern central Illinois on October 22nd. Well, it was not actually her, it was the actress who played her. And no, it wasn't Angelina Jolie, 
It was an actress who had worked for a dozen years for Disney World. She was an actress who played a number of Disney characters around Disney World whenever they needed someone to portray one of the Disney characters in a parade or to walk around Disney World with all the little kids ooing and aahing over these characters and poking them, they would call her in and she'd dress up and play a number of characters. One of them was Maleficent. And there she was, across from the table, with me at the other side, in a pastor's home after church. And what do you do? You know, there's the wicked witch of the West across from me. Do I cover my food so she doesn't hurl green things into my plate, or what do you do? But up close and without the makeup and the costume, costume, this lady was a really nice lady, this actress. A woman about 30 years old, her her two-year-old son running around her feet. Her husband was right there. He was a teacher of history at the local junior high school. She sells bicycles for a living. And there she was. Serping sloop with the rest of us mortals. She wasn't who I thought she should be. I get the same feeling when I listen here to Mary sing her Magnificat. This doesn't seem like the real Mary that I've come to know in the movies or the Mary of some Christmas carols. I always thought that Mary was an ignorant peasant and unlearned. But here, when I read this, she's pulling all sorts of things from her all over the Bible. She was a woman who has learned she knew her Bible. I also assume that Mary was kind of passive, quiet, deferring, responding, but not aggressive. But when I listen to her song that we're going to read this morning, I'm wrong. This girl is praying with a Bible in one hand and a club in the other. She had enemies, and she's about ready to go out and deck them. I also watched enough Jesus movies and sang enough sappy Christmas carols so that I thought that Mary was this overly humble, self-effacing, meek, super shy woman, never talking about herself. But did you hear what she prayed here? From now on, everybody in the future is going to be talking about me. She seems so proud of herself. You're not supposed to do that. And you're not supposed to write it down, let alone include it in the Bible. So who is this girl that we're meeting? You probably know a person best when you hear them pray. Not when they pray these churchy prayers, but when you're listening in from the other side of the door, hearing them really pray their heart out. This morning, we get to eavesdrop on Mary as she is praying and as she is talking and as she is singing. We get to meet the real Mary. But the best thing about Mary wasn't Mary. The best thing about Mary was what made her sing this song so loudly. I think you know the setting to this song, the backdrop. The backdrop of every one of the songs on your playlist has some backstory, and this one does too. Luke couches this story. Uh, in a very interesting story. It's a little bit different to the backstory of Matthew. A priest is living in the dusty hills of Judea. His name is Zechariah. He's out of his hometown and he's in the capital city performing his priestly duties. One day, an angel appears to the Zechariah and tells him that his old barren wife is going to have birth, to give birth to a son to the nation's pastor, John the Baptist. Well, Mary hears about that from the very same angel. And she gets up and goes down to, Jeru- uh, to the hill country of Judea. And as soon as the two miracle moms meet each other, their babies in utero connect with each other. 
She packs up and uh, the John leaps in Elizabeth's tummy. But the older mom knows that this is not just some random event, this tummy rumble. This is part of the plot of the entire Bible. And she says that in chapter 1, verse 45, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's the backstory which made Mary then start singing this song. The structure of the song is pretty simple. She's following what she knows to be one of the thanksgiving psalms of the Old Testament. The first two verses, verses 46 and 47, she is a celebration of God's goodness. My soul magnifies the Lord. And then she follows that by seven reasons that she gives thanks to God. Verse 48, he looked down upon my humble estate. Verse 49, he has done great things for me. Verse 50, his mercy is for everyone who fears him. Verse 51, he has scattered the proud. 52, he has brought down the mighty but exalted the humble. Verse 54, he has filled the hungry but emptied the pockets of the rich. And closing in verse 54, he kept his promises to Israel. When you heard this, did you hear how Mary alternates mighty with mercy? Mighty, mercy, mighty, mercy a number of times. That's not an accident. Her God, your God, is merciful and mighty at the same time, all the time. The meaning is simple. God pulls down his proud enemies, but remembers his humble chosen people, and Mary is the best example of that, as the mother of the Son of God. And today, we don't have to live in the dry hills of southern Judea wilderness to know what this means for you and me. For us, it means the same. If you fear God, if you love God, even though you are lowly and broken and weak, God will lift you up and meet you in your lowliness because of the Christ of Christmas. There are three movements, three parts to her story. Verses 49 to 47 to 49, Mary's praying all about herself. 50 to 53, Mary boasts about being weak. 54 to 55, Mary remembers Abraham. And each one of these parts that we'll briefly go through, there's a word for us. So let's begin where Mary talks about herself in verses 47 to 49. Mary teaches us that she is deeply in love with God as her greatest treasure. Do you see this deeply part here? Verse 47, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Young girls here, your mothers and your fathers are teaching you to pray, aren't they? Listen well to them. Pray like this young girl, Mary, prayed. From the deepest part of who you are. Not just your words, not just your Bible verses, but pray like Mary prayed with her soul, with her spirit. Learn to pray as you enter into your teenage years later on, like Mary did. Pray with your tears, pray with your worries, pray with your cries. Some of the old translations of the Bible said that people used to pray with their kidneys, with their bowels, with their liver. No wonder they had prayer closets back then, and no wonder why people go on prayer walks today if you're praying with your liver and your bowels. But that's the way the old translations were written. But girls, learn this lesson. Begin your prayers with the bottom of your feet and pull them upward through everything that is in you. With all that is within me, 
I will bless the Lord. Learn to pray like Mary prayed. My soul, my spirit, she says, and not just my actions, pray. The next thing we learn here is that Mary knew what was truly worth singing about. My girls, your girls sing about all sorts of nice things. Mary sings as well about the things that are truly worth singing about, and that is the Lord her God. My soul magnifies the Lord, verse 46. Uh, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, verse 47. Kids, what does this mean? Children, my soul magnifies. Probably in your house you have two magnifying glasses, don't you? There's two types of magnifying glasses. There's a small one. And what do you do with it? You put a little bug, a little ant, and you look at it. And the ant is actually pretty small, isn't it? And you get your magnifying glass and you make something small into something big. But that's not what we're doing with God. We're not putting a small God under a magnifying glass so we can pretend he's really big and then worship him. That's not what this is all about. There's another kind of magnifying glass in your house. What is it? It's super small on one end, bigger on the other end. The telescope. The telescope doesn't make something small into something big. It makes something huge uh, allowable so that you can see it as it really is. It doesn't make it any bigger. And that's what we're doing. It's making God bigger in our sight so we can look at the rings of Saturn or something else. That's what Mary is doing. She is magnifying God in her own sight and in the sight of her friends. Did you see what Mary needs in verse 47? Mary needs a Savior. Don't let anyone tell you that Mary never sinned. If she never sinned, she would not need a Savior, would she? She also says that God has had mercy on me. Perfect people never need mercy. No, Mary loved the gospel. That's what drove her. She loved the gospel. The good news that I am a sinner and God is a forgiving Savior made this girl sing. Now, what's all this noise that Mary's making in verse 48 about herself? She sings, from now on, everyone's going to talk about how great I am. This seems like it's better fitting for the opening of an era's tour or something that's going on. Everyone's about me. Everyone's going to call me wonderful. Mary, what are you doing here? Is this teenage arrogance? No. What she's saying is true. She's simply stating a pure fact. And isn't that true? We all talk about Mary. You cannot go into the supermarket and buy a jug of milk today without a Christmas carol talking about Mary blaring over the scratchy loudspeakers. Find me one nativity scene in Douglas County that does not include a little figurine of this mother of Jesus. Every fourth lawn in your neighborhood has a nativity scene, and there is Mary. We're still talking about her. She's just stating a fact. So 2,000 years later, the the church still honors Mary, sometimes, as we know, to an unhealthy extreme, but there's nothing wrong with her singing the truth. In verse 48, she lists the first thing that makes her happy. She says here, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. God saw that I'm just a village girl. My family is not in the power center of this country, culturally, economically, academically. I live in a town that nobody likes. 
I live in the Fort Lupton. You know Fort Lupton? I grew up not far from there. A nice little farming town right along the South Platte River. But almost every spam that I get now on my phone comes from Fort Lupton. It's become the spam capital of Colorado. What happened there? So someone meets you and says, I'm from Fort Lupton. And you think, okay, you're the guy who's spamming me, aren't you? I don't know what it is. But that's where God lives. He lives in Nazareth. He lives in Fort Lupton. He lives in people and places like me, she says. He has looked upon me. Now, friends, be careful. You are not Mary. Just like we are not David and our cancer is not Goliath, in the same way you are not Mary, Mary was this once-for-all-time once person housing in her tummy the Son of God, but we can learn from her. Just like God met her in her lowliness, God meets you in your brokenness. And here's the second reason in verse 49 that this little teenage girl is snapping her fingers and tapping her toes. It says, the mighty, done, the mighty one has done great things for me. Great things. Now, kids, look in your Bible at verse 49. The word things, is that singular or is that plural? What do you see, kids? You're right, plural, whatever that little burp was. God has done great things for me. Things? What things has God done for Mary? I thought I only did one thing for Mary, and that is put his son in her tummy. No, God has done many good things for me. Many, to, many things that I can't even count here. Often I think we make too much of this idea of God coming into Mary, telling her that she will house the Messiah, that she will be pregnant before she is married, and all of the social stigma that this will bring her. What will your neighbors say when they see your tummy growing and you're not yet married? How will she explain this to her parents? I think we make far too much of this poor Mary. Your poor reputation is now ruined. And I'm sure that I have preached probably entire sermons on how God ruined poor Mary's social reputation, but how in faith she was willing to undergo social shunning. But here there is not a hint of that. Maybe a little one in the Gospel of Matthew. But Luke mentions nothing of this. She would say, don't poor Mary me, as she's drawing water from the well in downtown Nazareth. It's not, oh, how can I hide my tummy? It's no, rubbing her tummy publicly. God has done great things for me. Don't poor marry me. God has done something great. I think we make too much of this social shunning idea. Mary would probably have none of it. Verse 49, Mary then turns to the character of God. What does he call God in verse 49? She's already talked about God being merciful and mighty. She'll repeat it a few times. Kids, do you see that? What is God in verse 49, at the end of verse 49? Who sees that? God is holy. You got it. He is holy. Why holy? Why not loving? Why not powerful? Well, holy means that God is unlike anyone else. God does things the way no one else would do them. There is no other God who would do such a thing here. God was housed in her womb. 
Her womb became a sacred space. Mary's tummy became a tabernacle. Mary's belly became a new garden of Eden, a nine-month temple. God hallowed her womb and came there to live. That is unlike any other God. You don't read about that in the other incarnation stories, even those that were floating around in Mary's village in the Roman world, in the Roman mythology in Mary's day. He is holy. He is so unlike any other. Then in verse 50, she seems to be still talking about all of herself, but she broadens it, God's mercy to all, to everyone who fears him, not only in our day, but from generation to generation. So, so that's the first part of Mary's prayer. She prays all about herself. The meaning is clear. God remembers his humble chosen people and puts down his proud enemies. And Mary is the greatest example of that the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. So who is this girl? Not who we think we thought she was. She's a girl who loved deeply her Savior who is truly great, and she invites all of us to sing with her this morning. The second part of her song in verses 51 to 53, she contrasts the great and the small. Do you see that? The proud versus the humble, the mighty versus the weak, the rich versus the hungry. She sees life as a football field with two teams. Team one is the proud, the mighty, the rich. Team two is the meek, the weak, the frail, the hungry, the broken, and the lowly. Team one is in full uniform, helmets, shoulder pads, cleats with two-inch spikes. Team two is in old cut-off shorts, barefoot, and they have to pump up their football after every play. But watch what happens during the game. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. The barefoot team wins. Now, I know if you're not really into Jesus and church and the Bible, Mary's song probably seems kind of silly to you, but I know that this resonates deeply with what you know to be true. That in the end, those with integrity, even though they are broken and hungry and poor, they must win. We have a built-in sense of justice. We long for the humble to overcome the evil power, the evil empire. The last movie you watched probably was all about that. And your naturalistic, atheistic worldview is not giving you what you know to be true deep down in your heart. And when you share the good news of Jesus with your friends and neighbors, appeal to what is deep in their hearts as well. Barefoot, hungry, Mary knows that she can be truly hungry and happy in God. And if she were here with us this morning, she would implore us to do the same and to sing this song with her. Now, who's she talking about in verse 51? All these enemies, the proud, the mighty, the, the rich. Who is she talking about? Is it someone in her neighborhood who is teasing her? Probably not. I think Mary is just looking at the storyline of the Bible, looking at the politics of her day, looking in her neighborhood. The proud, the mighty, the rich have fallen. The humble, the weak, and the hungry have risen. From Cain to Lamech, to the neighbors of Noah, to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Pharaoh, Balaam, Canaan, 
Saul, Nabal, Absalom, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, they're gone. And the humble have been raised up. Noah, Sarah, Joseph, David, Bathsheba, Daniel, Mary, and you if you are humble as well. Mary wrote this song many years ago, but it's certainly still true for us as well. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. Someone has noticed that in the Bible, God uses his fingers, his hand, and his arm. In the book of Exodus, when God does something small, like the plague of flies, he uses his fingers. Bigger miracles, he uses his hand. But the Red Sea crossing, it was God's arm. And here, the Lord uses his arm as he brings in redemption through Jesus. And so as I read this, I want to sing the song of this teenage girl. God meets us in the broken places. God meets you in your tears. God meets you in your struggles. And I say, oh Lord, scatter the pride in my own life. Help me to look for you, not in the powerful places, not in the full places, but in the weak places and in the weak people. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger for what is right, for they will be filled. Martin Luther loved the Magnificat, and he wrote all about it. He wrote a copy of his sermon, and he sent it to Prince Frederick, his protector of Germany. And he warned him, you are a man in a powerful position. Be careful. So I read this, and I ask, is there any hope for the rich and the powerful and the full? Yes, there is. Remain humble. This is why Luther also wrote that the Scriptures describe so few kings and rulers who are truly godly men. The third part of Mary's song, and we close with this, is in verses 54 and 55, where she goes back in time and remembers Abraham. Verse 54, God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. God is a God who remembers as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary is recalling a promise that God made 2,000 years earlier and is just now coming to pass. If we don't get an answer to prayer within a two or three days, we start to panic. Mary was fine. Abraham was fine. God made me a promise that one day I would have a child, well, maybe a great, 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 great grandchild, and that child would bring blessing to the earth. And Mary says, Abraham's promise is right here in my tummy. Mary was happy to wait. She was not all about the here and now. So that's Mary's Magnificat. How does this apply to us? Martin Luther says it should strengthen our faith. It should comfort those of you who are lowly, and it should terrify those of you who are in high positions, which are probably most of you. You have a job. You have a house. You have an education. Friends, what scares me about the Magnificat is that we here in Douglas County even if you work for a minimum wage job, you own a car, and you can make payments on your apartment, we are that A team. We're on the wrong side of the team, and we need to be careful that we do not slip into complacency, and we do not become the enemies of God. That we are, we are not the broken and the meek and the humble as we must be. 
That's why Martin Luther said that Christmas is probably the most terrifying holiday of all. is because we see here that God takes down the proud. Let's root ourselves, dear friend, in God's promises. So when it comes time to plant a church, what are we going to do? Our new community, new church plant. If someone from the community comes into our new church plant, would they have any clue at all that we have ever read the Magnificat? No, we don't have to call the new church plant Magnificat Bible Chapel. But does these, do these themes of brokenness and strength resonate with us? When someone walks into our church, will they have a clue that we have the Magnificat running through our church life and culture? When our new website is launched in a few weeks, will anybody have any idea that these things mean a lot to us? Or is it all about us? our building, our branding. What about you? What about your family? Friends, we find God in the broken places, the hungry places, the weak places. We're okay to wait. Now, as we close this, let's just look at this Magnificat. One thing is obviously missing here. As we read this, did anybody see anything that is obviously missing? Something is missing here in the Magnificat. In fact, it's a someone. God is there. Mary is there. Abraham is there. The two football teams are there. Kids, who's not in here? And it's the, the answer is the typical Sunday school question. Jesus. Where's Jesus in here? Jesus is nowhere in Mary's song. How can you have Christmas without Jesus in this? Well, I said that the backstory of this was the appearing of the angel Gabriel to John the Baptist's parents and then to Mary. But the true backstory is Jesus himself, is the one who is in her tummy, the one implanted in the wall of Mary's womb in that dark place. This song is all about Jesus. It's all over. But what's ironic is that Jesus was on that A-team. He was the mighty, he was the full, he was the powerful, he was the rich before his incarnation, but he voluntarily gave all of it up. And he came on and he took on our poverty, our hunger, our weakness, so that he could meet you right there in your brokenness. He meets you in your cancer. He meets you in your unemployment. He meets you in your divorce. He meets you in your mental darkness. He meets you in your abuse. He meets you as you navigate the hard world of, of uh, foster care. He meets you in your confession, your humility, your doubt. Look for him there. That's where you find him. Look for Christ's mercy when life crucifies you because it crucified him. And his mighty arm that was his rescue is the same arm that was stuck out on the cross and was spiked to the cross of Calvary so that he could take that arm and welcome you. You broken, humble people, come. Come to me, all you who are broken. I am the bread of life. Eat of me and you will never hunger again. And isn't it so fitting that we take communion now, a little ceremony in which we take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice after we read the Magnificat. We come hungry to this little ceremony we come up to Jesus and take him as our bread. Jesus, you fill me. I am hungry. 
The bread makes us think of the body of Jesus. The little piece of juice that we're going to take, it makes us think of His death, both for our redemption. So let's come this morning to communion, confessing our sins, looking into our hearts, and saying, Jesus, make me hungry. Make me hungry for You. In my brokenness, I come and find You, the broken one. Take me and heal me. So Lord, we come to You this morning. Lord, this is a hard song to hear because we are the rich and we are the powerful and we are the full. So we come to your body and blood, O Lord, this morning from the depths of our soul and spirit. Lord, help these not just to be words and a little ritual that we go through once again. Lord, help us to rejoice, not in your gifts, but truly in you. And so we come, Lord, to the table with humble thankfulness to you because you have looked down, Lord, you have looked down upon our low, us in our lowest moments. You have blessed us, Lord. Lord, we look around us all over our nation, our places of work, and we see proud. We see abusers, Lord. And we know that one day you will scatter them and their place will be no more. Lord, you have done it in the past and you will do it again. But Lord, now we say that, ask, Lord, that you would do this in our own hearts. Remove pride from our hearts. Remove our complacency. Remove, Lord, our self-sufficiency. Remove our love for wealth. Make us hungry. Make us happy in Jesus.